Hello and welcome to Pinkin.com, Norwich City Podcast number 350. More of the same, please, Robins. On the way, Carrow Road Bliss, a Millwall kiss, and taking the pessimist out of the equation. My name is Michael Bailey. Joining us here this Monday afternoon at Archant Towers, we have Chief Norwich City Correspondent Paddy Davitt. Hello, the world. <laughs> and our corresponding colleague and the metrosexual Alan Partridge, pertinent today, of course, Dave Freezer. Cashback. <laughs> well, it's almost like we've been planning these, uh, which we haven't. And sitting in the background, taking notes, Tony Thrussell. You're me. Oh, it's catching. Better than your magpies, Chance. Uh, welcome to Archon Towers. We, we were back with the podcast, which is exciting. We're obviously all buoyed by what happened at Car Road on Saturday, but we'll get to the football. Let's talk, um, you know, about ourselves, gents. How are we all? Let's let's ruminate. Ruminate. Rank. Thanks, Pad. It'll be a long weekend. How are you? Very well. How are you, my friend? <laughs> yeah, good. Thank you very much. Sun is shining. It's a beautiful day. It feels like summer, which I guess is why we're all probably feeling a little bit giddy about where things are. But there we go. Dave, you had a nice week off. I did, yeah. Nice and busy. Caught up with a uh, few people. Went for a couple of runs. Finally got back on the uh, on the wagon uh, for this year because I haven't run since December. So it was about time I uh, picked my backside up off the uh, couch and started moving. But uh, yeah, I went to the game uh, as a fan on Saturday and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Finally, uh, last time I did that was the Leeds home game, which of course was a dreadful 3-0 defeat. So at half-time I was a bit worried, but yeah, I got to see a win. Yeah, we would have blamed you, most definitely. Uh, so, OK, we'll get stuck into the uh, football, of course, in a moment. But um, as always, remember, you can, you can get in touch with us here to shape our, uh, to share your thoughts and set our agenda. Just set an e- send an email to thepinken at archon.co.uk or you can get on touch, get in touch with us. Wow, there's lots of wrong words I'm using here. You can get in touch with us via all the usual social media channels you can imagine. Uh, and make sure you don't miss a single podcast for the remainder of this season by subscribing or the details are at pinkin.com slash podcast as is customary as we usually start it is quiz time thanks to football school the amazing quiz book paddy you have charge of the book today would you like to set the question for us boys and audience Gigi buffon arguably the best keeper the world has ever seen a member of italy's 206 world cup winning team decided to become a goalkeeper when age 14 he saw which player make amazing saves at the 1990 World Cup. In fact, further to that, he was so inspired by this keeper that when his son was born many years later, he named him after that player. So this is a big, big hero of Gigi Buffon. Is it multiple choice? Yeah. Do you want me to give the multiple choice answers and then the answer itself later on? That sounds perfect. Dave, I'm just wondering if Dave has a... But we don't want to know, you see. Mm, no, I don't know. But he's still playing Buffon, isn't he? He's still at PSG. <laughs> he could still win the Champions League. And what is he, 58 now? Yeah. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> uh, go on then, what are the, what are the um, possibilities, Pat? Well, he's compatriot, Walter Zenga, Cameroon's Thomas Uncono, England's very own Peter Shilton, or Argentina's great name, Sergio Goya Cachea. Walter Zenga, who we saw at Carroll Road last year. Yeah, and he played for Inter against oh. Norwich in the... Hmm, UEFA Cup run. I have a I random idea, but I think that's. Uh, we'll leave that there. Imagine if it's Peter Shilton. I just wonder. I wonder Peter if it Buffon. is Peter Buffon. Okay. Well, you know, in the same way of you know Hammers Rodriguez. Uh, okay, well, um, we'll ruminate. 
now I've learned that word again uh, on, on that. And we'll bring you the answer, because I know you'll all want to know, in our new segment, the pinken.com podcast, Norwich City podcast, Extra Time, which you can watch exclusively on the Pinken app. If you haven't got the app already, then just download it. Uh, search Pink Un in either Google Play or the App Store. Okay, that was the week. That was is where we start. Uh, only one game this week, but it was uh, it was a corker. Norwich City beating Bristol City 3-2. Um, and I think we've all sort of been feeling pretty good after Saturday, haven't we, Paddy? It was a so brilliant... Pro- <laughs> that answer is great. Is it? That is a great answer. Oh. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say on that one. Jeez. I love yeah. it. Remember, pink, get the app. Watch yeah. uh, the Pink and Extra don't, don't miss it. It's well worth it. Oh, good well, man. Watching just for the answer. Pad's on fire. Um, as Saturday Bristol, goes, Bristol, yeah, it was, Bristol, it was a cracking yeah, yeah. game, wasn't it? And the way the sun was out, the atmosphere was fantastic. We're touching all these elements, of course. Uh, Norwich City had to really dig in and, you know, did the job. It, it, hard not to be, not to feel good after all that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'll be brutally honest, I preferred the Bolton game because that was a complete uncompetitive procession. <laughs> and it was just sit back and how many could Norwich score. So the result was never in doubt, is effectively what I'm trying to flippantly say. Certainly wasn't the case against Bristol. And, um, and if I'm honest, I think probably Norwich slightly fortunate to shade it. I know they had a good few chances after it went 3 2, but there was long spells when I felt Bristol were dominant in the key area of the pitch which was midfield um, and in that context to come away having well list them all you know Norwich win the game Bristol first game they haven't won in the league in eight first defeat in 14 13 point gap opened up from Norwich to sixth place Bristol just um, and on and on and on so it underlined and Daniel was quite clear the context made it as good a result as all season for me, for him as well. And, um, yeah, it just reinforces a gathering belief, I think, that uh, the impossible is probably now possible. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I could see why Bristol had won seven straight because I thought they were excellent. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about Bristol City in a moment. Dave, as you said, you're in the stands. How was that as an experience? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it's nice to see it from a different angle. That's something that um, I always think is funny with football. We all form opinions and you all view the game from a slightly different um, viewpoint, don't you? So it's quite easy to, for it to be shaped. You know, if you said I was on the south stand, in the south stand, not far from the halfway line, only about 15 rows back, something like that. So you get a good look at, you know, Max Aaron's, O'Neill Hernandez, whatever, when they're on, on your side. Um, yeah, Max Aaron's, uh, whether that contributed to, I thought Max was really, really good on Saturday. Um, yeah, it, uh, they really had to dig in. Massive game for for me. That that is the one that flicks the switch on on the belief. I've been constantly just having this nagging thing in the back of my head saying, "No, I don't want to believe it. I don't want to believe that it's possible." Because it all just seems a bit ridiculous that this Norwich team that I think I think I predicted would finish tenth um, and and hope they might do a bit better than that. Um, are top after 34 games and as the table stands I know we've got games in hand uh, to, to be played 15 points clear of 7th that's just remarkable but um, at, at half time although we were worried I, I met, met my dad and, and his mates for, for a drink at half time which is a nice novelty for, for, <laughs> from our we don't our, get to do that on most weeks uh, we don't even get time for a, a cup of tea that alone a beer do we normally but um 
Yeah, although we were worried and a little bit disappointed that the tribe on the Clane axis in midfield hadn't really worked enough, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't enough against a very good team to control proceedings, we were all still confident that Norwich would win it. I think pretty much all of us said they'll still win 3-2, and we were pretty confident. And of course, yours had Steepman smash against the bar. Um, did, the keeper did tip the Hernandez one onto the post, didn't he? Or was I think that just? So. Yeah, I think he just I, got. I, we've only just seen one replay, so um, it, yeah, it was one or the other, wasn't it? Basically. So. Yeah. So I mean, if Steepman puts that one in four-two, then then it would have put the game to bed and wouldn't have had that slightly nervous nervous finish because. You know, that was it was a bit of a heavyweight contest. Both teams were sort of on on the canvas by the end. When they particularly Norwich, when when Hernandez charged through, and it was like that's the this is it. This could be the one that finishes it. He was literally dead on his feet, wasn't he? After he'd run the length of the pitch, so fair play. It was a cracking game. It was a, it was a very good game, really enjoyable. And again, I think that also the level of the challenge ahead of Norwich City probably added to it all. Um, in terms of the sense of accomplishment, I suppose um, it does seem worth talking about Bristol City uh, a bit here because they're, they're curious aren't they they had a really good run last season and then fell away a lot they've now lost two on the trot ultimately I know it's against Wolves and at Carrow Road two tough games from where they're coming from but we all do want um, them to sort of maintain their current form and, and, and danger and threat don't we because they've still got to play uh, Leeds Sheffield United um, Middlesbrough and West Brom over the coming weeks remember there's only 12 games to go now so that's a, that's a uh, calm brain a third of their fixtures against the top five which when you break that down as a percentage is, is quite high and you know they, they certainly have it going forwards I, I think there may be questions maybe about them defensively but going forwards they do have it in them to cause some real um, problems for some of the teams that are battling with Norwich yeah I mean you say defensively that that's a bit of an anomaly to ship three I think only Middlesbrough had conceded more than them in, in away games at the top half of the table um, and he did change both uh, wide players, wide defensive players, which was quite surprising. You know, Wright and De Silva didn't start the last league game against QPR. So whether that was a nod to Aaron's and Lewis and Hernandez and Buendia. Um, and yeah, what we don't want now is them to tail away a little bit and lose a bit of self-belief. They've got Birmingham, I think, Tuesday night, which is a game they should really put to bed. I think it's at home. Um, and that run for them, as you alluded to, they could be a proper wrecking ball for in terms of Norwich. So, because if they pick points out of those rivals, then that's only good for Norwich. So, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I see where you're coming from defensively. But I, I do, as I say, I do say do look at the going into the game, and they didn't concede many goals. So, as a rule, I think you have to say that's probably a hat tip to Norwich, really, and how good they were offensively. Absolutely, and of course Lee Johnson made a triple substitution, didn't he? Got them all out of the way in one go and went to three at the back and that worked for Norwich at Ashton Gate but not so much for, for Bristol City. I do want to touch on the atmosphere. A lot's been said afterwards. Um, maybe we'll come on to it later as well, but you know, the sight before kick-off was fantastic. The, the noise at the end as well was, was, was something else. It, it all added to the occasion, I suppose. And, and again, not a sense of here we are or a sense of congratulations patting ourselves on the back but as you say just that belief really I think it, it's all captured everyone's imagination that actually this could actually this could actually happen this season well if you can't enjoy days like Saturday then don't bother going to football beautiful weather in February which, which is you know completely unexpected um, all that colour all that noise a cracking game 
it, it was difficult for there not to be a, a good atmosphere really and there were plenty of chances good football played by both teams in you know the, with the right intentions they did try they started time wasting once they were 1-0 up didn't the particular I think it was seven minutes actually <laughs> uh, yeah uh, actually I've got a friend who supports Bristol City and he texts me at half time feeling quite elated and I said it's not over yet Dan <laughs> so uh that worked out quite nicely. But uh, in amongst the atmosphere, Marley Watkins got a boo, didn't he? Which was uh, maybe a, a tad harsh. I mean, didn't do anything wrong. I mean, I know he was a letdown, but I'd imagine he would, if he'd have scored, as he, he did get a chance, didn't he, at the back post, yeah. he would have given it the big one. <laughs> but uh, fortunately, that did not happen. Um, yeah, the atmosphere w- was great. And, and, you know, everyone sticking around at the end was, was quite special because everyone was waiting for, for Daniel to do his whole uh, uh, waving of the arms. It, I think it, it's probably nice to uh, it would probably be nice to see the players join in with it at some point and I know Huddersfield did it so maybe they don't want to do that and maybe they don't want to peak too early because you know, it does look quite celebratory if you all do it but it would be nice to see the players join in when if or when they get over the line um, and, and in terms of Bristol City Josh Brownhill again every time I think Norwich have played Bristol City the last two seasons he's impressed me he looks like someone who may be in a Johnny Housen mould of seven years ago could step up to the Premier League I like the look of him a lot um, Pack's not a, a bad player either but yeah I, I like what Lee Johnson's doing and uh, yeah I think they'd be pretty dangerous opponents for anyone in the playoffs yeah I think um, Brownhill O'Dowd Callum O'Dowd have both looked good at Bristol City for, for two or three seasons now like Alan Brown at, um, at Preston as well players who I'm pretty sure will kick on at some point um, if anyone out there does have a spare couple of moments um, it's worth making time just giving a, a quick search for a Marley Watkins interview he did for Bristol City TV when he joined it always makes good viewing to hear the reasons why he went to Bristol City and just Remind putting them into, into context talking about the way they play good you know, quick attacking football which is just the sort of football he likes to play obviously not saying that that's not where he's gone but maybe a little look at what's been left behind him uh, slightly uh, do you think Daniel Farker quite enjoys doing his little waving arms at full time <laughs> yeah I think he does but he did he does always make the point whenever asked and he was again on Saturday that he'd l- like the players to stay centre stage but um, the reality is he is quite clearly I mean I was at this fan as you were Michael that fan, and you were Dave sorry uh, the fans social event last week um, four four hundred or so. He is. No, I won't use. A, Go on. I was going to say Messiah, but any religious <laughs> types might take offence at that. So uh, you no, come out no with offense. a cracking line on the app. What did I say on the app? King of Cow Road. Yeah, he is the king of. Well, well, that's probably a better phrase to be brutally honest. It's yours, so that's the one. <laughs> he, um, you know, he he ultimately, whether he wants to be centre stage or not, he is because he is, in the eyes of most Norwich fans, the key reason why they're doing what they're doing. He's moulded this, and there's a good parallel now, of course, we'll get into this, obviously, later on, but where did they go this Saturday? Millwall away. You go back to last season's trip to Millwall, that was probably his uh, lowest point, I would suggest. Um, That was welcome to England, welcome to the Championship. You better book your ideas up and change your philosophy a little bit. Otherwise, you're going to be heading probably back to Germany at a rate or not. So um, the contrast from that Millwall trip to this one, you know, 4,000 Norwich support a team with Premier League firmly in their sights. It's it's a phenomenal turnaround. And it's not all down to Daniel Farker, clearly. There's a lot of other people done a lot of good work, but he is the man who ultimately has moulded this group of players into a force who can do what they did against Bristol. 
Okay, gongs of the week then, shall we? Big Duncan Forbes, hero of the week. I know there's 11 of them, if not 14, but let's uh, let's see what we've got. I mean, would I've got written here, Kenny question mark. Would any of you have agreed with Kenny? No, he's one of my villains. Oh, oh coming to that. <laughs> Pad's on teasing fire today, I love it. Well, I mean, for, for the winner, certainly uh, you could... Two goals, Dave. His first two goals for the yeah, club. The first one was good as well, and good awareness from Pookie and Hernandez. One of his mazy dances. He almost looked like he was doing the cha-cha or something on his way into the box on that one. Uh, I'm not a dancing expert. That might be the wrong <laughs> analogy. Um, I don't watch Strictly. Um, but the finish for the winner, as I said, where I was sat near the halfway line in, in the south stand. I was. I just had the perfect view of it. As soon as he struck the ball, I knew it was going in because I could see the gap. Well, I sort of hoped it was going in anyway because you could just see it curling towards. And uh, that did, was it, did it drift into the? Did it? Did he put a little bit? Of, did it sort of swing in just yeah, inside it the? Faded in, yeah, just just slightly, yeah. He he caught that, and it was you know great determination from him to to win the ball as well. But um, likewise, in in terms of hero, Max Aaron's for the second goal, and you know, he had three bites at the cherry and each time he had to keep running hard didn't he and he he opened up the whole thing with the first attempt as well so yeah Mr Godfrey does uh, does owe him a, a bit of thanks shout indeed Paddy got a hero yeah yeah I'm going to go team Pukki not for his goal scoring and six for a change although he was important in that assist for Kenny McLean but Daniel revealed afterwards he oh, do we put this delicately his bowels had been letting him down for two days he'd been in bed and uh, as a result, he had to haul himself off his sick bed to perform it in the manner he did. Fair play, top man. Really, I'd missed that. Yeah, apparently so, mate. Yeah. Oh, I wonder what Jordan Rhodes thought of that. Well, that that shows you that Timu is <laughs> first name on the team sheet, and he's there unless he can't get out of bed. Absolutely. I mean, without having to go into details, I mean, I did the same, and I was in the press box, so you know, <laughs> I had a great day. Of it, so. Did you have to run around quite as much? <laughs> <laughs> and I felt like. Sh- um, how about? Uh, Kevin Muscat, villain of the week. Well, Paddy, you've teased us. We can't wait. Well, one of McLean, Tribal, Godfrey, and that was simply for allowing O'Dowder to dance past <laughs> them all. But, um, yeah, Tom firmly planted in cheek, as Dave's already alluded. Kenny Mack, two goals. Good response. Ben Godfrey on the score sheet. And Tribal, I thought, came to the either side of McLean's winner that when they were really getting put under the pump. You know, he was he was getting his body in front of that back four and he was just putting his leg in and making... Some very important interceptions. Otherwise, um, you know that Tim Krull really didn't have a massive amount to do. In fact, for my mind, he made one save from Pack in the second half. So, testament to the likes of Tribal and the back four in front of him. So, yeah, bit tongue in cheek, but uh, any of those three, because although it was a great strike, he should never have got that far. But he did. He did indeed. Don't worry, Pad. This whole section is pretty tongue in cheek. It's an interesting one with Tom Tribal, isn't it? Because he. It, it, when he does have his more ropier moments, it's almost because he's trying to do too much work because he's a little bit exposed. I think there is always an element of that sometimes when he gets a bit caught short. Yeah, I mean, Dave touched on it, the the chat at half-time and his part of the ground, McLean and Tribal, I don't think as a pair were particularly working in the defensive s- setup, and that was a, um, amply uh, illustrated by the O'Dowder goal. Mm. And moving forward, that would be a concern for me. But albeit, you're not probably not going to play the quality of Bristol across the centre of the park between now and the end of the season too often. So you know, it's all about various different opponents you come up with. But as a pair, that would concern me. I don't think they exert the amount of control that other 
central midfield options, namely Mario, namely Moritz Leitner, probably do. But that's one for Daniel to uh, you know tweak and refine as we go on. But great situation to be in to have that amount of central midfield options. Indeed, and um, um, maybe Daniel could just work on them, just concentrating for say sixty seconds after they score, because there is a little bit of a habit they seem to be. Uh, a bit like headless chickens as soon, you know, as soon as they score it's happened on a few occasions this season Dave you got a villain there was a cheer just after the third goal wasn't there when um, Bristol went forward and everyone was just a big sigh of relief that they hadn't uh, scored um, my villain this week is a academy product a Norfolk boy Remy Matthews for his absolute uh, howler letting Leeds' winner in against Bolton um, with the caveat that he again played very well and made some very good stops and Bolton by all, all accounts played much much better than they did uh, against Norwich and you know losing 2-1 to Leeds at Elland Road is no shame at all but uh, you know you, you watch the replay of the, the winning goal uh, from Glick I think it was who scored the winner and he he hits it and it no sorry Alioski Alioski sorry yeah um, it deflects and it spins and Matthews takes a step forward and then it looks like he must have it under control but he must have just misjudged the spin because somehow it still gets between him and the crossbar and yeah that was pretty costly for Norwich because uh, Leeds dropping a point to Bolton that day I think could have had a uh, rather huge say in the uh, in the promotion race so Leeds uh, Leeds escaped there yeah did did Bolton play better were our Leeds not in great form I mean I wouldn't dream of putting the pressure on and asking that question myself I'll let all of Yorkshire have that conversation how about our Simeon Jackson moment of the week then kind of spoken about this a little bit but Quite clearly, the full-time stuff was was special. But any other bits as well? Or yeah, I could throw in a non-game related one. It was uh, going back to the fan social when the guy stood up and said, "Daniel, your English is very good, but how are you with Norfolk, boy?" <laughs> when you're in Morrison's, I thought that was an absolute classic. And to be fair, he he, he gave a quite a good answer. But uh, I put that out on Twitter, and that just blew up. So uh, yeah, obviously tickled very many people, as it did me. <laughs> Uh, we've all had to deal with it, I suppose, and Daniel enjoying the uh, North, Norfolk sounds. He couldn't really say anything wrong, could he, on, on, on Wednesday? No, he was the king, king of Carrow. <laughs> he literally had that audience eating out the palm of his hands. It was quite um, an impressive performance, you know, with microphone in hand. Everyone, you know, was just loving it the atmosphere in the room was was sort of so warm almost a bit emotional at times when he talked about how much he loves life in Norwich and how this will always be his his home away from home as in Germany being his first home still of course that was great but I I don't think uh, I don't think it should be underestimated I don't think it's just that he's a super lovely bloke who just charms everyone I think he's a I think he's a quite calculated and clever person who who reads people just to just to see how he handles not handles us guys but how he speaks to us guys and in the media and how he projects that positivity and how he gives out those messages to to the fans that even when things were going badly last year he's not he never really swung one way or the other did he he stayed fairly centred and he's always stayed pretty positive and now I think he's, that's paying off for him I would agree with that because when someone made a someone made a reasonably um, pertinent point that you might need to tighten up a little bit <laughs> he, he did sort of come back with a oh yeah I'll do that because we're doing so badly or we, you know, I'm paraphrasing obviously but I thought that was you know like yeah don't I'm not taking any of that thanks oh, we're all right, I, so. there's a steal in Daniel's eye as well I, I don't think he he um, is anybody's fool 
No, indeed. Uh, my moment was actually going to be because we did the podcast on Monday afternoon, of course, last week. Uh, I had an evening booked for one, so I'm going to be completely free. And then bang, seven o'clock. Not that I had to do much work on it, but seven o'clock, uh, the Spygate um, uh, results. Uh, AFL's decision popped up. Uh, heavy fine, 200 grand is pretty heavy fine, I thought, for Leeds. No points deduction, obviously. Again, that wasn't part of the issue. Um, the matter dealt with... Uh, and a strong reprimand everything put to bed and I guess it just leaves everyone free now to concentrate on the football from here on in which is all we're going to say on that isn't it no one's that fussed yeah I think they've dealt with it fairly well you know they've talked about the fact that they will now bring in a rule to explicitly say that you're not allowed to do that 72 hours before a kickoff, um, as if it needed to be said um, but now Marcelo Bielsa cannot continue to do that so um yeah, I think if he went any higher than that figure, considering that there wasn't a rule already in place, Leeds would just start to get a bit tetchy, but they'll just be happy to draw a line under it, wouldn't they? Good job they didn't find Norwich City that much for the uh, ruckus at Ipswich, because um, it'd have been sort of. Daniel Farker would have been drawing parallels with uh, players even more expensive than Tamu Puki and Christoph Zimmerman. Uh, 25 grand, Norwich got fined. Ipswich got fined 20 grand, because even though they instigated all three ruckuses, um, they haven't done it that often in the past, basically. And Paul Lambert, two-match ban, which, of course, he's uh, served one game of. And uh, a £3,000 fine, which, as we also saw, um, an Ipswich fan... God bless them, uh, set up a Just Giving page to raise the three grand to pay for the fine because Paul Lambert can do, do no wrong in Suffolk at the moment. In fairness, I think it raised 35 quid. Uh, and dear John Rogers obviously thought, well, that's ridiculous raising, raising money for that. How about raising funny for Niku at the uh, NNN? Put that out, got a bit of stick for it. Bless him, John. Um, probably because it was pitched as a look at what us Norwich fans do compared to Ipswich fans but it, from Ipswich fans yeah right. I think so yeah not from Norwich fans um, raised more than three grand in 30 hours something ridiculous but it must be said both Norwich and Ipswich fans contributed to that pot so all in all just love each other and be thankful we've raised three or John we didn't uh, John has raised three grand for a great cause that's all I'm going to say on that Mailbag then. Discussions led by your emails, tweets and other interaction, uh, which is good. Of course, uh, you can email us thepinkinatarchin.co.uk. Please do. Uh, or as we've tended to do, put out a tweet and see what comes back, which we've got. You guys will be delighted to know. Um, Dave, do you mind if I... Shall I I'll read them out. People seem to be having a bit of a... Um, <laughs> a bit of a, a thread on one of these questions so maybe we should ask that one first <laughs> from uh, Richard Twitchett on Twitter which of course uh, I think that's Richard Jeffries what date will we seal promotion question mark I reckon April the 19th versus Sheffield Wednesday which apparently is the same day Alec Neal's Preston will relegate Ipswich boys mm. is that question ridiculous or are you daring to even contemplate? It's Friday night, apparently. Is that Friday night or Friday, Friday night? Yeah. 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 We, um, we could have a weekend session on the back of that. Fionn Thomas has already mm. tweeted, Good Friday, brackets, understatement. Is that Good Friday, is it? Yeah. Uh, oh, well. That would make sense, uh, yeah. April. It is? Yes, it is Good Friday. So we could basically, yeah, yeah for 48 hours, we could have a rather good time and then just basically not even really bother doing any coverage at all at Stoke because we'd be too hungover. 
Well, what about the title, Pad? Um, I won't tell you what Rich has uh, replied to Fionn, but it, saying how good it was, where would good it would be. Oh, getting so far ahead of ourselves. Well, I mean, Sheffield Wednesday would be nice. Friday night under the lights at Carrow Road. I think the uh, the pubs would do a, a rather roaring trade that night. Um, but aptly as well, where did we finish last season? 5-1 humiliation at Hillsborough. Nelson Oliveira stropping around. Josh Murphy smacking balls into the top tier. James Madison off on his crutches. That would be quite an apt reflection, wouldn't it? It would be indeed. See, the thing is, you know, that would be three games. Uh, Full time after that game would leave three games. So mm. whatever happens starts to become. I don't even think, I've, I'm not even comfortable having this conversation. So let's move on, shall we? It's my fault I asked the question. Uh, Danny Griffiths, what position, yeah, much more uh, sane question from Danny, what positions do you feel we need to recruit if we were to get in the promised land? Oh, God. Uh, with the amount of goals shipped, it has to be central defender, but at the same time, Simmons and Godfrey, Zimmerman and Godfrey have done ever so well, and that's without including closer. And we sort of had the conversation earlier, didn't we, Dave, with, you know, Grant Hanley still in the in the building, and Tim Closer is out of contract come the summer. So uh, there's a few pieces there that are interesting, it, it, regardless of whether Norwich go up or down, has to be said. Well, They're I mean, not going down, you know what I mean. They'd have to... You know, it's a difficult one because is that squad type additions or is that, you know, front line additions? If it's front line additions, I don't think, you know, you'd need to do something at the top end of the pitch, I think. You know, as good as Pookie has been, it's a complete unknown whether he could step up another level and score as he has done and his game be so robust. Um, and ultimately, that's what's in times past when they've gone down, they've not had enough goals in the side. So, um, sadly, they're the ones that cost the most money and everybody's after if they're any good so you'd have to be very creative in terms of what resource you've got to throw at it but ultimately you get some more firepower in that side and that to me doesn't include Jordan Rhodes I don't think he would be the answer um, because he's not proven in the Premier League if they could get some more goals at the top end of the pitch then I don't think there's too much else they need doing I mean somebody said on the Q&A about Angus Gunn yeah I'd take him all day long Um, A because Krull needs competition and B probably the longer term bet of the two Krull's best days are behind him that's 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 stating the obvious so certainly keeper wise and top end of the pitch for me one of the reasons I'd hope Sheffield United don't come up is because I think Dean Henderson would be a good loan signing for Man United to compete with Krull next year if Angus is impossible I mean obviously if Angus is possible great have him and Tim Krull as competition that's the sort of level you're going to need to to survive in the Premier League um, uh, centre back's clearly is something where it's going to need work because all of a sudden you're going to be up against your Sergio Aguero's Lacazette's and Gabriel Jesus and stuff and those guys move the ball twice as quickly as championship strikers do and you're going to need players who are good on the ground it's going to be um, that's going to be a real test the fullbacks you know you presume if they go up if they go up that Jamal Lewis and the Max Max Aarons will stay um you never know one of them still might get sold but come back on loan but probably not but then how do you you've got Heiser in to compete on the left um, side but how do you persuade somebody to come in and compete with Aaron's if when you know he's going to be sort of first choice um, but yeah midfield I'm not really worried there's loads of options in midfield you know, I don't think you'd need to tweet too much but I think we all know that Leitner for instance is somebody that would well, be well suited to, to the Premier League Wendier as well and yeah so it's up front because Shrebeni and, and Rhodes are unlikely to be competing for Premier League places aren't they you're going to need another team in Pookie and you're not going to have 20 million to find one 
Ben Hawksley asks a good question. Was Kenny McLean's performance against Bristol good enough to keep his place at Millwall? No, I'd put Mario Vrancic back in now, I think. Because Mario Vrancic in January, quite rightly, PFA fans, players of, of the month, he was that good. And uh, what I like about Mario, I mean, he's already, from day one, you could see he had the technical ability, but he's now putting his foot in where it hurts and he's quite happy to throw his body on the line and do that side of it, which isn't as appealing, maybe, to the purists, but it's essential, particularly when you go to a place like Millwall, given they're scrapping at the wrong end of the table. So, following on from the discussion we had a bit earlier, I thought they were a little bit too open at times, albeit they're playing against probably better midfielders than they would come up against this Saturday. But uh, for me, uh, Vrancic comes in, because it clearly, you get the sense again from Daniel Friday afternoon at Colney that Leitner, he doesn't feel he's quite ready or at a level after such a long layoff to throw him back in from the start. So if Leitner isn't an option for Daniel, then it's probably Mario or, or keep the two as they are and I think he probably would like to get Mario back in if he could it's a, it's strange because I didn't ever think the way Daniel Farker works I didn't ever think he would boot Kenny out I don't think this week but now that Kenny scored twice it's almost like okay brilliant contribution thanks for that Kenny I'm now going to bring uh, one of Mario or, or Moritz in because you know you've contributed that's great now I want something else it almost feels like that's how Daniel would do it it's a tough call it's going to take some careful man management um, I wouldn't imagine that Kenny McLean is all of a sudden going to become a prima donna and demand that he's in the starting lineup. and not long ago he did a, an interview with the club didn't he where he did say that his best position is the number 10 role and that's where he um, played best for Aberdeen and really where we saw him shine on Saturday wasn't it in, the, on the, in and on the edge of the box that's where he scored his goals we didn't see him perform to the level that was necessary really in the deep midfield role which is where Leitner and Branchich do their business isn't it so as much as it's a difficult call I wonder whether there might be a little work around and rest Marco Stiepman's hamstring at least on the bench because he's had this little ongoing issue hasn't he play Kenny as the 10 get Branchich back in alongside Tribal and go kick on from that and then you've still got Stephenman in reserve with not forgetting you got following that Swansea on the Friday night and then Hull on the Wednesday so you've got three games in just over a week coming up after that so there's games coming up and following on from that equally could you bring closer in for Godfrey at the end of the day I don't I don't think anyone could argue if you're looking at it dispassionately that a Norwich team with Tim Closer and Mario Vrancic in is probably stronger than with Kenny McLean and Ben Godfrey in. But it's just not as straightforward as that. It's going to take some real, a real balancing act from Daniel. Brilliant stuff. Uh, finally, Liz Howlett on Twitter. Pressure to win, win, win. Our foes down the road will play a big part in our promotion chances given the teams they will be playing. I think they've got Sheffield United away on the penultimate weekend and then Leeds at home on the last weekend of the season. Um, unless their Ipswich have a massive change in fortune and have a fight for... Um, uh, a fight for relegation I think that means they may have the last laugh and just roll over as if to spite Norwich I, yeah I don't know if they've got it they, I mean what is the difference between them trying and just rolling over at the moment I can't tell when it gets to that point yeah, that it's then Lambert's reign in the balance isn't it so if they don't go down with some kind of spirit then how does he 
go into next season with any kind of momentum at all I've got to be honest I think he's got a complete free pass I, th- I don't think anyone cares it's like he's God at the moment and just take us up next year which is when the when he'll come under maybe more proper scrutiny yeah it's interesting uh, listening to the Talk Norwich City podcast they had Adrian Forbes on last week didn't they and Forbesy was saying that he was one of the coaches and former players who Lambert said no don't want any former players in the background you're out son and so you look at him at Ipswich come on John Walk, come in everybody Matt Holland yeah look how great we are it wasn't like that in Norwich was he Right, the week ahead, uh, we it's quite an important week actually because we've got the games in hand basically coming up. You already touched on it, haven't you, Paddy? But Leeds are at QPR on Tuesday night. Bristol City are playing on Tuesday night. Uh, Leeds actually play again on Friday evening when they play West Brom. So that's going to be a cracking evening and, and may well set the tone for the whole weekend because we've seen that a few times, haven't we? And, and Norwich themselves have been able to do that. That's a bit rude for Leeds, that, isn't it? That schedule, Tuesday, Same. Friday, yeah. It's a good job they've got the squad to uh, deal with it. Well, have they though, yeah. Forest Derby Monday night as well. Obviously, we're recording Monday afternoon, but that's, that's an interesting game. But going back to the Leeds-West Brom, West Brom, West Brom aren't playing midweek, which I don't see them down there unless they're playing on a Wednesday night, which it can't No, they, play, they played their game in hand uh, the week just gone. But they, they need a massive response and, a, and a, probably a win after getting beat at home to Sheffield. So And they're better away from home, aren't they? And West they Brom? are. They're, I think they've won the most away games in the league away from home. So it, it's one of these again... By the by, the time we get to the recording next Monday's pod, Norwich could be in an absolutely fantastic position because you look at it from this distance. Leeds West Brom, while that that could conceivably be a draw, Norwich do the business at Millwall. Don't know who Sheffield have got on Saturday, but you'd expect they'd probably win the way they're, they're they going. haven't. There next Monday's the derby, the isn't derby, it? Derby, there you go. Oh, so it's at Wednesday Hillsborough. United at Hillsborough there on the Monday go. night. Next Monday, yeah. Woo-hoo. So two derbies in yeah. Two weeks. So in the space of like the next seven or eight days, well, eight, eight, nine days, if it's if they're playing. So the week today, it's the Sheffield derby. Mm. So yeah, by um, come on, Steve Bruce. By Tuesday week, <laughs> Norwich could be in an absolutely fantastic position. He could. Well, there we go. You'll be able to follow all the ins and outs, of course. We'll let you know all about those on uh, on pinkin.com. And as we've already touched on as well, Millwall coming up. Uh, we all remember the 4-0, as, as you mentioned, Paddy. It was, I think I, I literally said after that game, well, if this carries on, they're going to get relegated. Uh, which, of course, it didn't. No. But the point was that it had to stop. And, well, I mean, it is... Oh, well, sorry, I was well, going to say, well, it did. <laughs> it it, it did. stopped for Russell Martin and Marcel Franco because yeah. they never played again, so... Watershed moment, yeah. It was, yeah. Watershed. That was a grim old day, wasn't it? <laughs> really was a uh, a horrible one. I think Daniel Farker will be absolutely desperate to win this game on Saturday. I think that will will be almost a signpost for him. It will be because I I remember talking ahead of that game. I, I think all three of us might have done the press conference, and you know, a big theme of it was sort of saying like, you are aware of what you're going to get at the den, aren't you? And he sort Daniel sort of laughed it all off a little bit, and he said something like, "Oh yes, I've been told I'll need a translator to understand the words they're going to say to me and things like that." And it was all a little bit too nicey nicey, wasn't it? And we were like, I'm not sure he quite realises what's in store because they'd just come up from League One then, hadn't they? Under club legend Neil Harris had all that momentum, and they were just big bullies, weren't they? They had Morrison up there and Tom Elliott. And they really did batter Norwich that day. I think we all said, well, look, it's all very well saying, well, you can't hurt us if you haven't got the ball. But, you know, no team has 100% possession and it only took about 20% to smash Norwich four times and win the game. And it was so brutally predictable how that game was going to go. But they were such early days. And I guess 
thinking about listening to what Paul Hurst was was saying about this six game rule where any manager apparently um, if they don't win in six games they kind of um, should expect that talk of the sack might may well come up I hadn't heard of this before but that's what her said interesting that Claude Puel's gone after uh, six games about how to win and he's the third successive Leicester manager to go after that sort of run so it's obviously something that's stuck I mean Daniel Farker had two runs last season where he didn't win in seven so it kind of emphasizes the time it's taken because Daniel was probably trying to get the same things in place then, but it was only five games into his reign. And what we're seeing now is a, a real body of work over such a long period of time. I mean, in terms of his philosophy, he's refined it, but it's probably not fundamentally not changed. What has changed is the personnel. that He's got better players and players who understand what he wants and what he needs from them, vice versa. Um, you know, we don't need to labour the point, but Russell Martin and Marcel Franca was not a central defensive pairing that was going to get you too many clean sheets. Um, Harrison Reid that day and Alex Tete they were so far apart it was absolutely a chasm through the central areas and Tete on the bench wasn't that the one that brought Tete back in I think, I think he right, played yeah. Reid yeah. and it was Reed, Reed, you I remember you saying at the time Pab Reid, Reid was basically covering the width of the pitch he was yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. he played a 4-1-4-1 didn't he he was still That's trying right, that and we were like mm, yes. it's not working <laughs> so you know ultimately it was quite a sobering day for him funny if I did mention that to him a few Fridays back at Colney well I can't think it was the pre-Derby presser I don't know how we got onto that but um, yeah but basically he still rankles with him clearly Um, and as Dave says he would he will certainly want to setting aside what's on the line at the minute and the context of what they're trying to do that will have been probably one of his bitterest memories as an Norwich manager and he'd certainly want to uh, exercise a few demons and the big thing that changed that day the Mario Vrancic hair was gone. Yeah, that's true. The yeah. silver hair was gone because he got taunted by the Den faithful, didn't he, about his Hollywood hair? He did. In fairness, I spoke to him about that in the Bristol uh, the Cup game at Brentford when uh, Norwich won and he scored his first goals, I think. And he choked to it, no, that wasn't why I changed my hair. Yeah. So there we go. It would be full circle, wouldn't it, if you know Norwich win at the Den, Daniel Farker turns around and dishes out all those curses he learned at the first time <laughs> last August. <laughs> Take that. I don't think that would be a good idea. <laughs> um, so it would be quite the day, obviously, at the Den. We'll talk a bit more about that on the Pinkham podcast Extra Time. So that's exciting. Um, what have we got coming up? So, yeah, all that uh, at uh, pinkham.com. It's also worth saying that the Pinkham show is live on Wednesday at the the nest it's a special panel uh, we've got which includes uh, mandy thorpe from the canaries trust dan win from the community sports foundation and from norris city football club director of communications joe ferrari and the chief operating officer ben kensel so if you've got any questions for any of these guys you can submit them in advance you can do that at with an email to thepinkin at archant.co.uk. It's also worth saying, if you're in Norwich and listening to this now, you can come along. If you send an email to the same address and you want to come along, please do. Uh, we're hoping for just a small, you know, 10 people there would be nice because otherwise it's a bit quiet. But um, if you want to come along, then send us an email just to let us know you're thinking about it. We'll be in touch. And uh, if you arrive at quarter to six, then apparently they, they might open the cafe. So, you know, you might not get a beer, but you could get a coffee. Uh, You'll have to pay for it. Um, So that's all good. Let us know if you want to come along. And, of course, you'll be able to watch the show in all the normal places too and uh, submit questions for the guys there and girls uh, there. And then that would be wonderful. Um, Other than that, we can just get ready for our trip to the den, which is, of course, terribly exciting. Uh, Any other business, gents? No. 
If you stall very quickly, I'll tell you how the under 23 is getting on at Nottingham Forest because Adam Ida had scored, didn't he? Yes. Uh, Premier League Cup game, Phil, 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 Phil. <laughs> uh, Premier League Cup game, which is a, essentially a dead rubber for the 23s. Tony, you still here? Yes. Excellent. There you go, there's a bit more filling done. Come on. Where is it? Norwich City Academy. And the score, oh, they are winning 3 2 in the 81st minute. And the Moroccan lad that came in in January, uh, off the top of my head, I think yeah. his name's Ahmed Mometi, uh, I think I'm saying that right, has put them 3-2 ahead. Adam Ida had put them 1-0 ahead, and it looks like Ahmed may scored the equaliser as well. So there you go, uh, one of the January arrivals making impact. And obviously the 23s have been having a pretty bad time of it, so fingers crossed they can, uh, they can hold on for that one. Love it. Well done, Dave. Top work. Okay, we are done. Uh, thanks all to you guys for listening. Right, we're done. Uh, thanks to you all for listening. Much appreciated as always. It's a goodbye to Paddy. Cheers, Pat. Thanks, Mike. Cheers, Dave. Cheers. Cheers, Tony. See ya. Uh, remember Pinkin.com for all the latest Norwich City news, analysis and opinion. And we will be back with you each and every Monday. So make sure you get in touch with us. Get involved because this is your podcast as much as it is ours. We will answer that earlier quiz question about... Um, uh, Thank you, thank you, buddy. Uh, That and uh, we'll discuss a bit more about Millwall as well over in the Pink and Norwich City podcast. Extra time, go get it at the Pink and app. Uh, Until next time, here's to City heading into the Lions Den and surviving to tell the tale a little bit better than that August date in 2017. Bye for now.